We are in the middle of this series called Mind Games, and we've been looking at some mental thoughts that are unhealthy for us as Christians. We've been looking at thoughts that really hold us captive, uh, that can sometimes paralyze us and stop us from stepping into uh, the peace and the joy of Christ that he makes available to us. And so many times the mindset that we carry ourselves through life with is what determines where we go and how we go about receiving and interpreting all the circumstances around us. And and um, I've shared in this series that the last six months I've struggled with some mental thoughts that haven't been healthy for me and have kind of um, been in a season where um, I've, I've questioned a lot of things and I've reasoned about a lot of things that I've never reasoned about before. But I'm learning more and more that, that we can change our minds, that we don't have to have unhealthy mindsets, and that God makes a way for us uh, to escape some of the negativity that surrounds uh, all the events that happen in our lives and the way we think about them. And so today I want to continue this series. Um, and we're going to talk about a topic that uh, on some level we've all dealt with, but on deeper levels some people struggle with. Um, and, and it's a topic that's not easy to discuss, but it's a topic of depression. And I just want to say this up front before we move any further that um, I am no uh, clinical psychologist. I'm no psychiatrist. I don't have a degree in helping you mentally overcome uh, chemical imbalances. I understand that depression, clinical depression, is a serious and strong and dangerous um, uh, place to be in in your life. And uh, before I say anything today that you feel like discounts how you really feel, um, I, I want you to know that um, doctors are available. There are places that you can go to get um, professional help that I don't believe is a lack of faith in taking that step. Some people need to take that step. So I just wanted to say that up front uh, because I don't want someone who is struggling deeply with like clinical depression, who is having thoughts of suicide and is in a really low place to hear me say, well, you can just change your mind and it's not a big deal and you just need to get over it. Because I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Please don't hear that this morning. Uh, please know that um, I am a, a person who has never, ever really in my life struggled with depression. I have always uh, been kind of a happy-go-lucky person. I've always seen the good in life. I've always been blessed with a, a mind that even in negative situations sees the good that can come of it. Uh, but over the last six months, for the first time in my life, um, I'm starting to empathize with people who um, I have been in contact with who have truly struggled with depression. Uh, thoughts that I've never really understood before, never really been able to wrap my mind around how people think I have experienced. And, and I'll just say it's only been on a small level. So again, please don't hear me discount how you um, struggle with depression if you struggle with depression, but please hear me say today that I do believe in my heart of hearts uh, that there are things that we can do to get past depression and God can help us and he can free us from those things and a lot of it starts with the way we think and being able to change our mind and our perspective on some things. And so today, um, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that I've got a few things that I can say that will be helpful for us together. Now, um, let me give us a working definition for depression for the context of the message today. 
Okay? I want us to be on the same page so that you'll know that what I'm saying applies to the working definition that we're going to lay as a, found work, uh, as a groundwork for today, uh, just to make sure that, that we have a consistent um, interpretation of everything that's going to be said today. Um, and here's what we're going to go with. A condition of general emotional dejection and withdrawal. Sadness greater and more prolonged than that warranted by any objective reason. Okay? Sadness in times of tragedy or hardship is natural. There's reason behind the sadness. But if you experience prolonged or exaggerated emotional dejection that you can't seem to get rid of, that most people would look at your circumstances and not understand why you feel the way you feel. That's, that's what we're going to say is depression today. And here's another way that I want to say it. It's a hopelessness, a hopelessness that's not consistent with your reality. A hopelessness that's not consistent with your reality. When you have a reality that should cause you to think one way, to react one way, to feel one way, but you find yourself stuck in this rut of gloom and doom, and you feel as if your world is falling apart, and most people would say, why do you feel that way? That's what we're going to say is um, our working definition of depression today. It, it, it's a sadness that lasts longer than it should. Uh, that's an increased or an exaggerated intensity than would be normal in a situation. We've all been through difficult seasons and had hardships, and we all grieve, but there's a time for that grieving to end. And if that grieving doesn't end, and you go through your life for months and years and decades grieving over something that you should have been able to release, and then we're going to say that's depression. And depression can be uh, uh, for days, it can be for weeks, it could be for months, and it could be extended for years and years. And people have seasons by which they struggle with depression. And uh, for me, for me, I, I woke up one day, not too long ago, and I just began to ask myself, why am I feeling the way I feel? I have no reason to be feeling the way I feel. There is nothing that has happened in my life that should make me never want to get out of bed and just sleep and eat and feel sorry for myself. There's nothing in my life that's happened that should make me feel as if the world is against me and all eyes are on me and everyone's just waiting for me to react in certain ways. There was nothing going on in my life. I, I've been through some difficult situations or circumstances fairly recently, but there was nothing going on in my life. And, and it was like I woke up one day and I was like, why am I even feeling this way? And it hit me. I'm dealing with depression. I'm having unhealthy thoughts I'm allowing myself to go to places that God doesn't want me to go. And I can say that it, it felt paralyzing to me. It made me not want to go about doing things that I knew that I should be going about doing. And it felt like a hopelessness that I could taste. It felt like there was nothing that I could do to escape this reality that I was living in. And then when I was able to step back and look at it, I was like, why am I even feeling this way? I am incredibly blessed. Incredible family, incredible opportunities. People in my life that I absolutely love. Great friends. I mean, I mean there's no reason for me to feel this way. And so I started just going to God's word and saying, God, you got to help me get through this. And so I want to just share some thoughts with you today um, that hopefully will be helpful to you as I have found helpful to myself. 
All right, so here we go. I believe that the, the root issue behind depression really is in our thinking. I don't believe that the root issue behind our depression is the circumstances or the problems that we're facing. I don't believe it's things that have necessarily happened to us or are happening to us. I believe that the root cause of depression, and again, not talking of like clinical depression where there are imbalances chemically. I'm talking about when we have negative thinking that shouldn't be there, that is what catapults us into depression. So if that's the root cause, if that's the real issue behind depression, then, then we've got to figure out a way to think differently. That's simple, right? If it's our thinking that's causing us to, to live life with hopelessness, then, then we can change our thinking and stop living that life. Uh, here's what Proverbs chapter 23 verse 7 says. Um, it says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. That sometimes our thoughts develop a framework for the realities in our life. What we think frames our reality. If, you, if you've ever worked construction and built a home, or if you've ever had a home built, I know some of you may be having a home built currently, or if you've, you've ever seen a home in your neighborhood being built, then you know that before that home is built, you've got a field, or you've got uh, a piece of property, a piece of land, and all there is is a plan. All there is is something that you have to imagine and look at. But when the foundation is poured, and, and when you begin to frame a home, and you begin to put studs and walls into place, and you begin to form the outline of that, then the reality of that, ho- of that home begins to take place. It's the framing that begins to set the reality in motion. Before it's framed, you've just got a blank slab or you've just got a piece of land. But when you start erecting walls and you start framing out that house, then you're like, so this is what it's going to look like. This is the reality. This is going to become permanent. And I believe that our thinking frames our reality in life. The way we think is building, it's forming the reality by which we live in. And if our thinking is unhealthy, then we're forming a reality for ourselves that may not be consistent with the reality that God's designed for us. And we may live inside of a, a prisoned reality that we can't escape because we can't get past the way we're thinking because we framed in our reality. And I want to give you a couple of sources of bad thinking that frames a reality that, that, that is, is not the best that God has for you. That we want to escape that reality, so we've got to reframe our thinking. The first, the first source, I believe, of bad thinking is, is simply the devil's lies, Satan's lies. Uh, and that a lot of the thoughts that are put into our head are simply lies from our spiritual enemy. Listen to what John eight forty four says. It says, when he lies, speaking of our spiritual enemy, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. Anything that the enemy throws your way, it's a lie. And he wants to do his best to convince you that his lies are truth for your life. And so when you begin to have thoughts like everyone in the world is against me, no one loves me, my reality is so distorted that I'll never recover from this. It's simply a lie from the enemy many times. That he's trying to convince you 
to hold yourself hostage with bad thinking. And you've just got to understand that sometimes the source of our thinking are lies from the enemy. And we have to be able to decipher the truth from a lie. And that starts with God's word. That's why it's so important for us to read God's word. It's so important for us to understand biblical principles that will guide our thinking, that will help frame the reality that's healthy, that's based on God's word, rather than just believing everything that we hear and allowing Satan's lies to sculpt and mold the reality by which we're confined in. Bad thinking sometimes comes from lies from the enemy. The second thing is, is pollution from the world. We live in a, a world that is far from perfect. And sometimes, even when we don't want it to, it begins to rub off on us. And we begin to adapt to some thinking that's consistent with the world's thinking, but isn't consistent with a believer. Listen to what Ephesians chapter number 4, verse 17 says. The Apostle Paul says to the church in Ephesus, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. You must no longer live as the world does in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. We have to learn to separate ourselves from the futile thinking of the world. We've got to be able to remove ourselves from embracing a thought life that's based on a polluted world and stop allowing the, the way the world thinks to shape the way we think, the way we think. You know, sometimes we feel like we're unsuccessful because in the world's eyes, the definition of success would cause us to believe that we are unsuccessful. But God has a different definition for success, doesn't he? That sometimes we have to be able to step back and say, this is just bad thinking for me to feel this way about the situation I'm in because the world around me that's evil, that's corrupt, is causing me to think this way. We've got to be able to separate ourselves from that source of thinking. And, this, and the third um, source of bad thinking that I believe frames a reality of depression for many of us is simply problems that confuse us. That life is not perfect and we deal with some hard times and some difficult situations and circumstances. And sometimes when we're staring at that problem in the face, it confuses us. It causes us to feel differently than we should. It causes something that we've always believed and had faith in to be questioned because it doesn't line up with the way that we interpret faith sometimes. And we can have circumstances happen that cause us to question everything that we've ever believed in. And it's just a reality that we live in an imperfect world and we're going to deal with hardship. Jesus said so himself. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And that's where our faith has to be placed is that we serve a God who has overcome the world. And when the world assaults us with problems, with tragedies, with uh, difficult situations, we can't allow that to confuse us into thinking differently than we should think by faith. Now, all throughout the Psalms, we see writers of Psalms who express confusing remarks based on circumstances that they've been in. 
Let me read for you Psalm chapter number 10, verse 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? You ever felt like that? Why are you so distant from me, God? Don't you know that I need you right here, right now, and you're nowhere to be found? In the time where I need you most, I need you to come and rescue me. I need you to remove these difficult situations from me. Where are you? And the writer of this psalm, just 16 verses later in verse number 17, listen to what he says. You hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry. (laughs) Which is it? Which is it? Is he distant and far off? Is he nowhere to be found? Does he not listen to us? Or does he hear the desire of the afflicted? Does he hear our cries in the time of distress? We can get so disoriented at times because of the situations that we're staring at that we can just be confused. I'm angry, God. You're nowhere to be found. And the next moment we realize, no, you do hear me. You hear my cry. You're there for the afflicted. And we've got to learn to be able to navigate difficult situations without allowing our thinking to become confused because of the situations and circumstances that we're facing. So I want to read a good portion of a chapter in the Bible. Many scholars believe it was written by Jeremiah, a prophet. In the book of Lamentations, he's lamenting. He's had a bad time, he's had a bad season, and he's letting us know about it. If you're not depressed and you want to get depressed, sometimes you can just go and read Lamentations and you can be like, well, I thought I had a good life, but man, my life is really bad. And the reason that sometimes you can feel that way is because he's lamenting. You ever felt like, I can't tell God how I feel? I can't really tell him how I really feel because he's God and and I'm not, and that would be disrespectful. Well, throughout scriptures, we find writers who tell God how they feel. And I think that's an important step for us to take. But I want us to see the journey that Jeremiah goes through throughout chapter 3 here. And then we're going to learn how to overcome this bad thinking. He says, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath, speaking of God's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He's having a bad time here, right? God is not for him in his thinking at this moment. He's made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. God is against me. What I'm enduring right now is a result of God forcing things on me that I can't bear. Verse 7, he has walled me in so that I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. And I can tell you, I felt this recently. I felt like, man, I'm praying and God, I need some help. I'm just trying to, to, to cry out to you. And I feel like you're nowhere to be found. You're not alone when you feel that way. You're not evil or wicked because you feel that way 
You just have some thinking that needs to be changed. Listen to where he keeps going with this. He's barred my way with blocks of stone. He's made my paths crooked. It's about to get a little more intense. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding. He dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. I mean, it's not enough for me just to endure things. I mean, he is intentionally, he's targeting me. I mean, like a bear, like a lion in waiting, he's dragged me from the path and he's mangled me. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mocked me in song all day long. He's filled me with bitter herbs and sated me with gall. He's broken my teeth with gravel. I mean, this is not a loving God. He's taking gravel and breaking my teeth with it. I mean, he is just torturing me. That's how Jeremiah's feeling in this moment. He has trampled me in the dust. I've been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I hoped for from the Lord. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. And if you've ever dealt with depression, it's hard to even remember when times were better than they are right now. Because you're stuck in the misery of the moment. And you can't escape the negative reality that you find yourself in. When we're there, most of us have been there at some point. Or when we get there, and we get to this point where we're like, God, I don't even feel like you hear my prayers. I don't feel like you're anywhere around. In fact, I think that you're actually against me. I mean, really. The things that I'm enduring could only come from you. You're the only one that could make my life this bad. When we get to that point, how do, we, how do we overcome it? How do we get past it? How do we change our perspective? I'm going to read where he goes from here, starting in verse number 19. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember the intensity of the pain and the disaster. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. I'm realizing and recognizing where I'm at. Yet, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Yet, this I call to mind. Yet, I am going to change my thinking. I'm going to stop staying in this mess, and I'm going to bring to mind something that's going to bring hope to my life. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. One of the greatest tools that we have in our arsenal to overcome depression is to bring to mind God's goodness. His faithfulness to us in the past. How he has rescued us and blessed us and put us in a place of life to have a relationship with the Almighty God. We call that to mind and stop focusing on all the negativity that we're drowning in. See, sometimes you just have to pick yourself up, right? When you fall down, you can't just stay down. You've got to make up your mind. I'm going to get back up. 
I'm not going to stay in this mess. I'm not going to sit here drowning in my misery. I'm going to bring something else to mind, and that's going to be the goodness of God. It's an intentional thinking. It's, it's being intentional about saying, this is how I feel, and this is where I'm at. But in spite of that, in spite of what I see, I'm not going to live by sight. I'm going to live by faith, and I'm going to call to mind. I'm going to bring something to mind that's going to change my reality, that's going to frame a new reality. I'm tired, I'm sick and tired of, of drowning in this misery and this sorrow. And I've just decided that I'm going to pick myself up and walk out of it. I'm going to call to mind God's faithfulness and his goodness in my life. Listen to what Romans chapter 8 verses 5 and 6 says. Paul, to the letter to the Romans, says, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. We've got to stop allowing the world to control our minds. We've got to stop allowing our circumstances and situations to control our minds. We've got to stop allowing our thinking to be directed by the things of our sinful nature. And we've got to give permission to God's Holy Spirit to begin to infiltrate our mind with thoughts that are healthy and uplifting, that remind us of his goodness, his mercy, and his faithfulness to us in times of difficulty. One of the greatest things that you can do to bring to mind God's goodness and faithfulness is to read God's word. Amen. I'll say it a million times. There is truth for your life in these pages. It will change the way you think. These words were inspired by God's spirit. And when we read them and embrace them, we allow God's spirit to control our thinking. Listen to what Hebrews chapter number 4 verse 12 says. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And here it is. It judges the thoughts and the attitude of the heart. God's word will judge your thoughts. If you read God's word, you'll realize my thinking is not from God. This is a lie from the enemy. This is a, a problem that's confusing me. This is the world polluting my thinking. God's word is now judging that thought, and I'm going to bring to mind his goodness and his faithfulness. And you're going to frame yourself a new reality. One of my favorite characters in, in all the Bible is King David. Um, I think I love King David because he's described after a man He's described as a man after God's own heart, yet he was far from perfect. So many times I read scripture and I, and I hear stories of men and women in the Bible who I just think are absolutely perfect. And I think, man, I just don't hold a candle to them. I could never be like them. But, but King David, I mean, this is a man that was far from perfect, right? He's a murderer. He's an adulterer. This is a man who knows what it is to to stumble and to fall, yet God used him to do great things in the nation of Israel. And there's hope for our lives that's found in, in the words of the pages that he wrote in a lot of the Psalms. And there's one particular story that, that I love that I want to end with that 
hopefully will help you understand what it means to get past depression and not allow yourself to to drown in misery or sorrows and to escape bad thinking that holds you hostage. Let me get you to the point in Scripture that I'm going to read. King David was king of all of Israel. It was the season of war. He should be out fighting, but he had stayed back instead. And one afternoon, he goes out on his roof, and, and he sees a woman bathing. Her name was Bathsheba. And he looked on her, and he lusted after her, and he sent his servants to this woman. This woman was married to a man named Uriah. It didn't stop David. David was with her, and she became pregnant. And David realized that people are going to know, specifically her husband, who is a ranking official in the army that he oversaw, is going to know that his wife became pregnant by a man that wasn't him. And so he did what a lot of us try to do when we make mistakes. He tried to cover it up. And so he sent word out to the battlefield that his men were ultimately going to abandon Uriah and allow him to be killed in battle. This was after an attempt to reason with him. He brought him home from war and told him to go and spend time with his wife. He wanted, he wanted him to go and sleep with his wife in hopes that he would think it was his child. But Uriah was so faithful to him and to the cause that he wouldn't even go home. And so David resorted to an extreme. And he had his army to charge the enemy and everybody pulled back but Uriah. And Uriah was killed in battle. And he thought, like many of us, I've taken care of it. No one will know what I've done. Not only am I an adulterer, I'm a murderer, but no one knows except God knew. God knew. And he sent a prophet to him by the name of Nathan. And Nathan tells him this story about a a little lamb that's mistreated. And David becomes furious, believing that it's a real story. And he says, that man that stole that lamb needs to be murdered. He needs to be killed. He needs to be taken care of. And Nathan looked at him in the eyes. You ever had one of these moments? And he says, you're the man. You're the one that needs to be judged. You're the one that's not perfect. And David grieved before the Lord. He realized the sin and the error of his ways. And he repented. And the prophet Nathan says to King David, you're not going to die because of this. God's going to spare your life. But then he imposes a consequence on him that was difficult for him to bear. He says the child that Bathsheba is pregnant with is not going to live. That will be the penalty for your sin. And so when Bathsheba gave birth to a child, the child became ill. And David, knowing what the prophet Nathan had told him about this child, he went into a mode of mourning and fasting and weeping before the Lord. He didn't eat. He was drowning in his sorrows. God, this is my fault. This child should not die. I should bear the weight and the consequences of my own sin. Please spare my child's life. And one day he noticed that his servants 
were avoiding him. They weren't coming to give him an update on the health of his child. And he went to them and he said, he said, the child's dead, right? And they said, we didn't want to tell you, but, but the child has died. Now, it would be natural if you've already felt the weight of your sin in that moment and you've already felt the overwhelming sadness that's accompanying the death of your child to go into a depression in that moment to realize my sins have affected others. My child is dead because of what I did. And it would have been easy for David to go back to his palace and close the doors and keep people away and just have a pity party and just, just drown in his sorrows and just allow himself to, to frame a reality that was hopeless. That's what many of us would do. But I love this about David. That's not what he did. Listen to what he did in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse number 20. It says, Then David got up from the ground, the ground where he was weeping, and crying out to the Lord to spare his child, but God didn't do that. The ground where he wasn't eating, he had fasted before the Lord, that, that he was miserable there on the ground. It says he got up from the ground, and after he had washed, he put on lotions and changed his clothes. And then he went to the house of the Lord, and he worshiped. And then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. This is a merciless man. He should be drowning in his sorrow. Doesn't he realize what's just happened because of him? Believe me, he knew that. But he made a decision to call to mind something that would frame a reality that was full of hope rather than hopelessness. And some of you need to understand that when you're facing similar situations, the first thing you need to do is you need to get up. You got to get up. You got to pick yourself up. You got to call to mind something that's going to give you hope. You got to stop drowning and focusing on that negativity. You got to stop allowing it to hold you hostage, to keep you captive, to keep you chained to hopelessness. You've got to pick yourself up. Then he washed himself. He changed his clothes. On a practical level, I've found that sometimes if you just take a shower and get dressed for the day and go out and do something, it'll change your reality. But he didn't just go do anything. Where did he go? Went to the house of the Lord. And he worshiped. He didn't just go and sit there and listen to a sermon. He went with a purpose. He said, I'm going to the house of the Lord to worship. I have done wrong. I have not, uh, I have caused something to a child that they didn't deserve. I should be judged. I should receive the due punishment for my deeds. I should not have hope in this situation, but I know that there's a God who still loves me. And I know that there's still hope for my life. And I'm going to pick myself up I'm going to put on some different clothes and I'm going to go to the house of the Lord to worship. 
I'm going to set my, my mind's attention, my heart's affection on the Lord, on His goodness, on His mercy. I'm going to focus on who He is instead of focusing on my situation and my circumstances. And after he was in the presence of the Lord, he was able to do something that he hadn't done in days. Instead of drowning in a pile of tears and a heap of sorrows, after being in the presence of God, he went home and he ate. He was able to to find hope and, and move on and get beyond what had just happened. And I know, listen, I know that there are times in your life where you feel like you just can't move on and you can't get past where you're at and you're stuck. And whether you think it's your fault or whether you think it's someone else's fault that you're in that season of your life, there is hope for you. You can frame a a new mindset by bringing to mind God's goodness and His faithfulness. You can pick yourself up. You can change your reality. You can go and worship the Lord. Some of you just need to, you just need to make you a mixtape of worship music. I know you grew up and you had mixtapes and you put your favorite songs together. And some of us, we just need to create a mixtape of worship music. Songs that we just really connect with. And we just need to, in times where we just can't get past where we're at, we just need to to throw in that mixtape and we need to begin to sing to the Lord about His goodness, about His love, about His mercy. And you know what? I think that it would be fitting for us to do that right now. So I'm going to call the worship team to come back and in just a moment we're going to sing a song that we actually sang just a few minutes ago. This song called Cornerstone. The song that, that teaches us that When it feels like life is shifting the boundaries, there is a God who is firm and set. He is the cornerstone. He dictates the boundary of our lives. That even when it feels like we are so far gone from His grace and His mercy, we can find that He is that cornerstone that still brings us hope in hopeless situations. In just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to let me pray for you. And we're going to sing a song together. So here's what I want to do as as we prepare to end our time. I want you to ask yourself a simple question. Right now in my life, am I facing any type of depression? Do I have prolonged sadness? Do I have uh, 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 an emotional distress uh, that is distorted beyond reality? Am I allowing my mind and my thinking to be shaped by lies from the enemy, by problems that have confused me? Am I allowing the world to pollute my thinking and and find myself stuck in a place that I don't need to be? And if that's you, right now in this moment, I just want to invite you, would you just stand to your feet and let me pray for you? Anybody in the room that would just say, I could use some prayers right now just to get past where I'm at. Father God, in this moment, my prayer is that your hope would invade our minds. That we would find the ability, the courage to call to mind a new reality. A reality that's framed by thinking on good things. 
thinking of your faithfulness and your goodness and your mercy and your blessings on our life, allowing your word to shape us and mold us into who you want us to be. And I pray right now for, for every person listening to this message who would say, I just need to call to mind something different because I feel stuck where I'm at. Would you invade their thinking in this moment? Would your spirit guide our thoughts? And would you rescue us from the miserable reality that we feel like we're living in when in fact you've always made your mercy and your grace and your love and your hope and your peace and your joy abundantly available to us. You have never left. We have not been removed from your presence and there is still hope for our life. And right now, every man, every woman, every student that is battling with thoughts of depression, who are thinking unhealthy thoughts, who feel like the world and even you are against them, would you just give them hope? Would you just give them peace? Would you give them joy? in the midst of whatever sorrow they're finding themselves in. And Father, we as a church, we'll get up. We'll come to the house of the Lord and we will worship. And we'll trust that you'll change our perspective of where we are in life. And we'll be able to leave this place differently than we came into this place. And for that, I thank you in Jesus' precious name name.